Well, I haven't seen the movie, but back in 1965, Jimmy Stewart starred in the movie Shenandoah. And in the film, Jimmy Stewart uh, played the role of Charlie Anderson, a Virginian widow or farmer during the Civil War period. And I don't know much about the plot, but early in the film, Charlie, who had lost his wife and is a, is a, a bit troubled, sits down to dinner with his large family, and he utters this prayer. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. That's a vain attempt at prayer. Um, and I think Charlie's prayer reflects uh, what a lot of people think in America. We have because we worked hard, and they stopped there. That's as far as they go. Beneath the theistic facade of America is widespread humanism and individualism. Humanism praises human reason, human scientific exploration and analysis, human achievement, and arrogantly dismisses God's providence. Individualism emphasizes self, individual freedom and rights, and self-actualization, and arrogantly dismisses God's providence. I would argue that America's thankfulness is largely cliché. Our culture thrives on self-determination and self-sufficiency, which dulls our sense of dependence and kills gratitude. Many Americans cringe at the idea of dependence. G.I. Williamson wrote this. Jesus said that it is particularly hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This may be the source of the difficulty. The rich man has so much that he no longer feels himself to be dependent. End of quote. And that's right. It's very hard for the independent to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Dr. Dan Doriani said this, we miss the urgency of this prayer today. Americans live in a land of plenty. Indeed, we have so much food, we worry more about obesity than hunger. We buy large quantities of food in well-stocked stores and stuff it into capacious refrigerators and freezers. We plan ahead so that our food seems to come from our work and our kitchen. End of quote. And let me just say that wasn't the case for the disciples in the first century. Are we able to pray the fourth petition and mean it when we have so much? In one episode of The Simpsons, Homer asks Bart to pray for the meal. And Bart says, dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And they all gasp. And I think Bart gives voice to what many people actually believe. We have because we worked hard. William Hendrickson aptly said, although the supplicant is making a living in the sweat of his brow and besides has even paid for his groceries, he must still accept what is on the table as a gift from God, a product of grace. Are we ever aware that everything we have is a product of grace? 
Well, we come to the fourth petition today, the famed Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll first address God's providence, which I think gives meaning to the fourth petition, and then I'll address the fourth petition. Okay? What is God's providence? Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17 adds, in him all things hold together. That's God's providence. Later in Matthew 6, Jesus says that God feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field. In Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus instructs his disciples that not one of the sparrows will fall to the ground apart from the Father. That's God's providence. Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, 33 adds, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So even what many call chance or luck is determined by the providence of our God. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God sovereignly directs the hearts of political leaders to achieve his sovereign will. Ephesians 1 verse 11 argues that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's God's providence. Brothers and sisters, The sun rises every morning to light and heat the earth for the benefit of mankind because Jesus tells it to. The earth remains around 93 million miles from the sun because Jesus holds both in their place. New York, Mumbai, and Shanghai tower above the earth and hustle and bustle because Jesus wills them to. Amazon generates billions of dollars in yearly profit because Jesus sovereignly sustains commerce. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un lead their respective countries because Jesus sovereignly places political leaders in power and maintains their lives. The nearly 520,000 cows in the state of Pennsylvania produce over... 10.6 billion pounds of milk per year, creating around 52,000 jobs to contribute $14.7 billion to Pennsylvania's economy because Jesus owns the cattle on a thousand hills and maintains and sustains them all. Penn Medicine, UPMC, and Wellspan provide medical care to many patients because Jesus controls science and healing even if by modern medicine. Everything in the material universe and the spiritual realm subsists because of the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the providence of God. It is God's providence that gives meaning to the petition, give us this day our daily bread. What is God's providence? The Westminster Confession, or I'm sorry, the Shorter Catechism explains it like this. God's works of providence are... His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. 
Heidelberg 27 explains the providence of God in this way. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, all things, my friends, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. To speak of God's providence is to speak of his power, of God upholding everything, governing everything, and that nothing, nothing, nothing is by chance. All things come by his fatherly hand. God is sovereign over every leaf and blade, over rain which waters the crops and drought which kills them. God is sovereign over the bumper crop of oranges in Florida and the famine in third world countries. The casserole that you eat for dinner and the drink that you buy at Turkey Hill exist and are received because of God alone. Wicked people who are in perfect health and they look like models as they are in perfect health and they're rich in their perfect health and they're the poor Christian who suffers years from a gruesome and debilitating disease. Well, they together have received their circumstances from God. The wicked enjoy comfort in this life only to their eternal destruction and the righteous suffer much in this life only to their eternal life and joy in Christ. We live in the richest nation on planet Earth, the Disneyland of the world, yet billions of people are impoverished in India and in other countries. Why? Because God is sovereign over global economics. Brothers and sisters, all things come not by chance. Not by chance. Nothing is coincidental. Nothing is fortuitous. Nothing is meaningless. All things come not by randomness, not by arbitrariness, not by haphazardness, but by God's fatherly hand. All things. The course of history is not random. To think otherwise is to diminish God's providence and to assign control to something else, whether it be evil or the devil or luck or naturalistic forces or even human free will. The fourth petition, my friends, is hollow. It is empty. It is useless without God's providence. Job, Ruth, and Esther are books which help us grasp God's providence. The story of Joseph in Genesis proves God's providence. Acts 17, 24 through 28 is helpful in understanding God's providence. Paul, he was in Greece. He's at the Areopagus. He's speaking to pagan Athenians, and he told them this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, don't miss that. God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Everything. 
from shoelaces to salaries to surgeries. He gives them everything. Atheists repudiate God with the faculties and resources that God himself graciously provides them. Paul told the Athenians, in him we live and move and have our being. That's the providence of God. Has Jesus not said, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. As we live in the reality of God's providence, there is no justification for the fantasy of self-importance, self-actualization, self-determination, or self-sufficiency. They're delusional. Saints, God's providence makes the fourth petition a meaningful and a hopeful petition, a prayer for us. Now, there is mystery to the providence of God. Big topic. But saints, not only is God's providence biblical, text after text after text, but it benefits us. There's something practical when we believe it. It benefits us. Heidelberg 28 asks, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? What good is it for us, brothers and sisters? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Now, God's providence is difficult to swallow sometimes. It is. Especially when it's a bitter providence. But the truth of his providence comforts us in our afflictions because we know our Father is orchestrating all things for our salvation and our eternal good. We can be ever thankful when our needs are met and he prospers us. We can be confident that our Father loves us. He really does. And that nothing happens apart from him. It all has purpose. Even evil is working for his ultimate glory and our salvation. And you know what? As hard as that can be to swallow, the cross proves it. The cross. That's all that we need to know that that is true. And and what's the alternative, brothers and sisters? God is not in control. There is no purpose in our suffering. God's hands are tied. And prayer is like wishing upon a star. Why do it? I introduce God's providence first to get us, get us going because it is essential to the fourth petition. Essential. Real quick before verse 11. What is the structure of the Lord's Prayer? And this is important. Uh, the address comes first. Our Father in heaven. Six petitions. Petitions one through three focus on God and his glory. You see that? And, and, and then there's a shift. Petitions four through six express our deepest needs. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and then a doxology. Here's what's really important to understand about the structure. 
we ask the last three petitions in light of the first petition, hallowed be your name. We ask, give us this day our daily bread so that we can receive from our Father what we need to do what? To hallow his great name. There are actually vain reasons to pray the Lord's Prayer. Vanity. You don't just utter the words and it's sincere. There are some motivations behind it that are not pleasing to our Lord. Our reason must be, brothers and sisters, to pray for the glory and the honor and the praise of our Father's great name. Oh, that we may eat today to glorify His great name, drink today to glorify His great name, and so on. So then, why are we asking our Father, give us this day our daily bread? Number one, we are asking our Father for grace because we need it. That's not hard to understand, is it? We need it. The fourth petition begins, give us. That, that originates out of our need. Not give us what we deserve, that's not what we're asking, but rather give us your grace because of our need, Father. We know that we are weak. We know that we have countless needs and we know, we know that our Father is good and that he loves to give us good things. So we're simply asking him to give us the grace that we need to glorify and honor him. If you think you can do it, will you ask for help? If you think you have enough, will you ask for charity? Probably not. A feeling of self-sufficiency blinds us to our needs. Now, I've noticed something. I don't know if you're like me in this area, but I've noticed something about Lancaster County culture and I have grown up in it and have been immersed in it, and it's people don't like to ask others for help. They really don't. It's, it's somewhat confusing for Christians. I, I, it's weird, and I think one big reason is that we like to feel self-sufficient. I got this. That's how we like to feel. And this bleeds over into our relationship with God. Uh, One time a man told me that he never asked God for anything. Brothers and sisters, if we don't sense our everyday need and dependence, if we think we're self-sufficient, we won't pray, give us this day our daily bread, at least honestly. The people who honestly pray the fourth petition sense their needs, sense their dependence, and they approach God with a childlike faith, believing that their father is willing and able to meet their needs, expecting their father to meet their needs, and thanking their father for meeting their needs. Number two, we are asking our father for grace because we need it daily. Give us this day This day, we were asking for grace for today, not tomorrow, though I think there are circumstances where praying for tomorrow's grace can be appropriate, but daily grace is in view. I need it today. Our Father wants us to come to him every single day, knowing our utter need and asking for his provision, expecting his provision, receiving his provision, and thanking him for his provision. What an exercise of faith, right? 
Can you see how, how this prayer is an opportunity for our Father to strengthen our faith and dependence on Him? What an opportunity. If, if we pray this, brothers and sisters, honestly, God will, will, through that, build up our faith and increase our thankfulness. It's hard to do when you open the fridge and food falls out because it's too full. Number three. We are asking our Father for grace together because we all need it daily. Give us this day our. Again, brothers and sisters, we're praying this together. We're praying this together. The Lord's Prayer is for the children of God. It's a family prayer. We do it in solidarity with each other. And even if you pray this in the secrecy of your home, you ask in unity with your brothers and sisters who are also asking. So Jesus didn't teach us to pray, give me this day my daily bread. Not because I think that's wrong, but I think because the plural wording forces us to remember that we are part of a family. We have brothers and sisters. We have a glorious older brother. Amen? His name is Jesus Christ. The plural, there's something to that. And while considering our own needs, this prayer forces us and leads us right into considering also the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The language and essence of the prayer empties us of self-regard and encourages us to love God and to love the church. Number four, we're asking our Father for grace through daily necessities and the use thereof unto our salvation. Now this is a big point and this can connect a lot of dots. So hang tough on this one, this is a long point. The phrase daily bread is somewhat clear, uh, unclear rather, in the ancient Greek, but I think the context clarifies it quite a bit. Uh, There are other interpretations than the one that I'm gonna tell you here, but the most fitting and the most natural interpretation of daily bread especially considering what Jesus teaches later in verses 25 through 34, which we'll get to in a bit, the most natural is that we ask God for our daily necessities, which are his grace. Uh, William Hendrickson said, quote, the meaning then would be, give us today the portion that is needed for any one day, end of quote. D.A. Carson cleverly says, the prayer is for needs, not greeds. Needs, not greeds. Sometimes for us wealthy Americans, that line between needs and greeds is a bit blurry. Agreed? Now, the prosperity gospel, some of you may be aware of it. It has a big uh, hold on Africa, on many in Africa. It's very sad. Uh, Pastor Victor Akpavwerha, not sure how to pronounce it, I'm probably butchering that. He's from Ghana. He wrote a blog post titled, Money Cometh to Me. And this is what he wrote, part of it. Money will not come to you passively. You have to actively command it into your barns. Money is in the hand of wicked folks and it needs to be redeemed by the saints of God. Start using your mouth to put a demand on money to find you. Hence, you must apply the force of faith to lay hold on all that God has given you in Christ Jesus, including financial prosperity. God does not get any glory out of poverty. Poverty is a curse. 
And Christ has redeemed you out of it, but you have to put a demand on redemptive provision for it to be released to you. Folks, that's superstition. That is so hurtful to people. That, that's killing people who don't know the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Victor is teaching people to pray an entirely different petition to money itself which amounts to come to us this day extreme riches and affluence so we can be increasingly enslaved to idolatry. It's killing people who don't know the gospel. That's not a helpful prayer at all. Now, God, God graciously makes some people rich. It's by his hand he chooses to do it. That's not evil. Riches are not evil in and of themselves. But we are not taught in Scripture to pray for access. I'm sorry, not access. That's tricky. Excess. I'm sorry. Excess. We're, prayed, we're, we're taught to pray for our what? Our daily bread. Daily bread. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. America, hear this. They're quite clear. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Right there is the balance. That's the balance that we need. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing, I think that could include shelter there, with these we will be content. Jesus seems to be using, in the fourth petition, a figure of speech called a synecdoche. A synecdoche is using a part of a thing to refer to the whole of a thing, or vice versa. For example, you might say at a car show, hey, nice wheels, referring to, hey, nice car. Okay, you're taking a part of the thing, the wheels, to refer to the entire car. That's a synecdoche. Um, you might have heard of young men asking for their girlfriend's hand in marriage. Is he asking to marry her hand or is he asking to marry all of her? That's a synecdoche. So you get the idea. So bread refers more broadly to all that is necessary to this present life. All that is necessary for this. Might bread include food, drink, sleep, the ability to work hard, maybe even charity when you can't work. But, but I think the fourth petition assumes something beyond bread. How should we use our daily bread when God gives it to us? Implied in the prayer is a God-glorifying use of the bread that we receive. Your sinus helps us think this through. He wrote this. Nor did Christ merely comprehend under the term bread things necessary for the sustenance of life. But he also comprises such a use of these things as is profitable. For bread apart from such a use is no better than a stone. So, what good is bread if God does not bless us in the use of the bread? If our physical needs are met, but we remain cursed by God, what good is bread? More than bread, we need the favor of Christ. And your sinus added, Christ furthermore comprehends all temporal blessings under the term bread. Temporal blessings. Number one, that he might restrain our desires 
and teach us to pray only for such things as are necessary for the support of life and for the service of God and our neighbor, both in our common and proper calling. So we're not praying for extravagant wealth, luxurious things. It's not what we're praying for. To satisfy our carnal desires, it's not what we're praying for, but rather asking for our needs to be met so that we can love God, we can love our neighbor. Your sign is continued. Number two, that he might teach us to pray not only for such things as are necessary, but also that the use of them might be made profitable to us and tend to our salvation inasmuch as these things profit us nothing without such a use. Think about that. What good does bread do anyone in the long run if it does not tend to their salvation? What good? What good is bread if not accompanied with God's blessing of Christ, the bread of life? What good? The bread must serve us so we can serve Christ. And your sinus added, we do not merely pray for bread itself, but also for the blessing of God. For if God does not bless us in that which we receive, all our cares and labors are vain, and the gifts of God themselves are therefore useless and hurtful. What is a full stomach apart from God's favor? What is clean water apart from God's approval? What is a warm bed and a roof over your head apart from the gift of Christ's imputed righteousness? What is clothing without the Holy Spirit's presence? You, you understand in this? See, without the eternal blessing of God in Christ, even necessities for this present life work unto our eternal condemnation. Now, I want you to think carefully about this for a moment. God's earthly provisions work towards the condemnation of the wicked. They receive God's provisions for this present life without faith, without Christ, without gratitude. Instead, they receive God's provisions with delusions of damning self-importance and self-sufficiency. Having all of their needs met is actually hardening them towards God as they attribute their own well-being to themselves or something other than the Almighty God. It's entirely different for believers. Entirely different. For God's children, the earthly blessings of their father strengthen their faith in Christ, assure them of their father's love, and strengthen them physically to live for their father's glory. Having their needs met doesn't increase their self-esteem, but does increase their dependence and their gratitude. It's scary to think about. Sometimes when I'm together with my family, I'll say, this could be the last time we're together. <laughs> and you don't think that's funny, maybe, but I do. Um, that's my humor. It's scary to think about the volatility of life, the brevity of it, how unstable it is. We could be stripped of absolutely everything in one second, gone. What keeps us, so like a guy like me has to ask, what keeps us sane with that possibility? 
What keeps us mentally stable, emotionally stable, spiritually stable? That's very difficult for me to, to chew on. What gives us comfort in the frightening unpredictability of life? Is it not that our Father loves us and promises to provide all that we need unto our salvation in Christ? Is that not our comfort? Is that not what keeps us going? He will not let us fall. We have an eternity with Him. Think about the great Chicago fire of 1871. In about two days, it destroyed thousands of buildings, killed hundreds of people, and caused an estimated $200 million of damage. Can we trust in our money and possessions? Think about the stock market crash of 1929. Billions of dollars were lost quickly. People were devastated. The Great Depression followed. Can we trust in our money and our possessions? One accident, you never work again. Can we, can we trust in our abilities to give us our daily bread? John Calvin wrote something profound that, that I really hope helps you process all this. This is what Calvin said about the fourth petition. These words remind us that unless God feed us daily, the largest accumulation of the necessaries of life will be of no avail. Though we may have abundance of corn and wine and everything else, unless they are watered by the secret blessing of God, they will suddenly vanish or we will be deprived of the use of them or they will lose their natural power to support us so that we shall famish in the midst of plenty. Famish in the midst of plenty. That's really good. And Calvin added, no man will sincerely offer such a prayer as this unless he has learned by the example of the Apostle Paul to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need, to endure patiently his poverty or his humble condition and not to be intoxicated by a false confidence in his abundance. Saints, we live in America. Every single day we are tempted to be intoxicated by a false confidence in our abundance. Our full refrigerators and cupboards and stomachs tempt us Every single day to think I am self-sufficient and I don't really need God and I don't really need anyone else. Every day. So are you cognizant of your need? Are you daily asking our Father to provide for us? Are you daily thanking God with deep gratitude, realizing that all that you have, he gave you? Here's how Heidelberg 125 explains the fourth petition, so I hope this brings it all together for you. Provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that thou art the only fountain of all good. And that our care and labor and also thy gifts cannot do us any good without thy blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in thee. See, when, when we pray the fourth petition, we acknowledge that our Heavenly Father is the source of our every good and that our hard work and His gifts only benefit us as much as we receive His blessing in Christ. When we pray the fourth petition, we are asking our Father to graciously terminate our trust in anything else 
and to graciously strengthen our trust in him alone. It is a petition for grace. Number five, as we bring it together, our Father is calling us to see him, his love, his salvation, and his provision behind every good thing that we have. Kids, I want you to listen up here, okay? Kids, listen. Your parents feed you, right? I hope they do. And if they don't, please see me after the service. I'd like to talk to you about that, okay? Your parents buy you clothes. Your parents let you stay in their house, even though you're hard on it. Mine did too. That poor porcelain deer or whatever it was, we knocked its ear off so many times. Your parents give you many, 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 many things, right, kids? They give to you, and I'm sure that you appreciate that, but do you kids know that your parents are simply the means, the channel through which God gives you those things? God is giving. Your parents could give you absolutely nothing without God providing for them. You have nothing apart from God. Kids, do you know that God the giver and is the giver and the sustainer of absolutely everything that you have? He gives you everything from your food to your education to your body to your abilities and everything else that you can think of. Kids, please listen. Do not go through life thinking that your hard work and your achievements are what brings good things to you. Not the case. That is a lie. God brings them to you because the very achievements and the very strength from which you live is coming all from God as he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You do nothing and you have nothing, kids, apart from God's providence. And adults... This applies to us too. Same thing. When we honestly pray, give us this day our daily bread, it assumes that we know our Father, that we know something about His character and nature. He is God, sovereign, mighty, able. He is love. He cares for all His children. Jesus, He came and He showed us the Father. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see the Father. We know the character and nature of the Father. Did Jesus ever care about anyone's physical needs? Maybe like feeding thousands of people? Maybe like giving miraculous health care? What is Jesus like? What is God like? After the resurrection, the disciples were fishing. They weren't catching anything. I know what that's like. Not as much my brother, but I know what that's like. And Jesus came to them, and they didn't know that it was him at first. And he told them where to cast. And they ended up catching 153, not small, not medium, but large fish. If you're not a fisherman, that's really good. That's helpful. And so that was their clue. It was their generous Lord. He was there on the beach. And they eventually all got to shore. And there Jesus was cooking for them. Jesus had made a charcoal fire. He had laid fish on it and bread. And Jesus told them to bring some of the fish that they had caught and said to them, come and have breakfast. (laughs) That's great. And John reports 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Isn't that great? Don't you identify with that? It's just kindness, thinking of others, supplying for their needs. Jesus loved these poor, hungry fishermen by cooking them breakfast. He cooked them breakfast. And this is the God to which we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Our Father is ready. Our Father is willing. Our Father is able. Our Father is loving. Our Father is good. Our Father will provide for us all that we need to live for him. Are you asking? Are you asking? Are you thanking? Are you receiving? Very quickly, we pray give us this day our daily bread. Why? Eight quick reasons as I close. You won't be able to write them fast enough, so just listen. Number one, to acknowledge our lowliness and daily needs. Number two, to remember not to trust in ourselves or anyone other than our Father. Number three, to trust in our Father's providence and provision. Number four, to believe that our Father wants to give us good things. Number five, to expect our Father to not only provide basic necessities, but to bless us in Christ for the good use of his provisions. Number six, to express thankfulness to our Father for his goodness. Number seven, to remember that in Christ we are in our Father's good favor. And number eight, to receive all of our Father's good gifts in order to honor him, hallow his great name. Brothers and sisters, our shared ambition is to glorify our Father. So let us ask our Father to give us what we need to do exactly that and to do it forever.